Hello, and welcome to the River Audio Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We believe God has something unique to say to you, and our hope is that you feel His love stronger today than ever before. Enjoy the message. Psalm 69 in verse 1. Save me, O God, for the waters are come in unto my soul. I sink in deep mire where there's no standing. I'm come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for today. Thank you for this word. Thank you for this moment. I believe that you handed me this message. And I believe that it's straight from your heart. I need your help completely in order to preach it, in order to convey it. And I ask that you would help me to do that in the very simplest of terms. Help me today to speak in the easiest way to understand that no one leaves here wondering what's been said, but that we all hear you. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap before we jump into this. Praise the Lord. This verse, and you hear this a lot throughout the Psalms, these same types of sentiments. In the Psalms, you see lots of trouble and lots of rescue. And we hear this, save me, O God, the waters are come in to my very soul. I'm sinking in deep mire. There's no standing here. I can't even stand up. I'm sinking. I've come into the deep waters in the heard this little story that are flowing me. Many of you have heard this little story that I'm getting ready to tell, so I'll tell the short version. But when I was six years old, uh, my mom took my sister and me to Black River. My great-grandmother lived on Black River, and we would go down there and swim. And we were swimming, and I had gotten away from them just a little bit, and I got into a, into a sinkhole. I didn't realize it. I stepped off into a sinkhole where that water was being pulled under to another place. And it was stronger than I was, and so it sucked me under. And then I would bob back up to the top like a little fishing cork. And sometimes it would just be my eyes. And sometimes I would get a little breath. I'd get a little breath. And those of you that know the story know the miracle of the story. That the day before, my sister and I had been swimming. We just had a little bitty splash pool in the backyard that my dad had made us. And uh, Heather, out of the blue, she says, do you know how to hold your breath? 
I said, no. She said, I'll show you. She said, you just do this. And she showed me how to hold my breath, taught me to hold my breath. I didn't know how till then. And 24 hours later, I'd need it. Come on, somebody. There are, there are people every day that go out into the world, and they say they don't see God. And I see him absolutely everywhere. I see him absolutely everywhere. So, so I, I, the end of the story is I lived. You know, I'm here. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank, thank you very much. Anyway, I cannot imagine on that day, I cannot imagine my mom's mind frame. I can't imagine a mother's emotions because you would feel powerless. You would feel helpless. And you would see your child, uh, in this case, your favorite child. Being, being, pulled under, being pulled under the water. I remember, I somewhat remember, I remember feeling the water. I remember that. I can picture what my mind was picturing. My mind was not thinking forward enough to think that I would die. I wasn't thinking about what it would cause, but in, when I would go under, in my mind's eye, I saw, you know, the area around me, and that I was completely covered in water, and my thoughts were, hold your breath, get a breath, hold your breath, get a breath, maybe not in those terms, but, and then if I would pop up, you know, get some more. So I wasn't necessarily thinking, I'm getting ready to die, but I was thinking, survive. I was thinking, I'm in trouble. I was thinking, I can't get out of this. I was thinking, I got to do something and I can't do anything. That was the feeling. Many of us have experienced that feeling in our life. And there are some people here today, right now, that are feeling that very thing. You are being pulled under over and over again. And sometimes you even can't even get a breath. In between those, you're trying to hold your breath. But man, it's not comfy to hold your breath for very long. It gets harder and harder, and you need that breath, but if you open your mouth while the water's there, you're not going to get a breath, and then you speed things along, and you're in a panic, and you don't know what to do, and you feel like you are drowning. There are people sitting here right now that are in that place. There are people watching over live stream that are in that place. We've experienced that, and David certainly did. King David over and over again uh, throughout trouble, throughout war, throughout things that happened to him, throughout a target being on his back, through things that he himself did. 
David felt that. The circumstances around him that were out of his control, the consequences of his own actions. We would simply say it this way. I'm in over my head. I'm in over my head, and I cannot catch my breath. Am I talking to anybody this morning? All right, we're in the right place. Do you remember as a kid, it was popular on cartoons and even in some movies to see somebody in quicksand? And I don't know if there is, you know, movies and cartoons, everything really comes, you know, sometimes it's in the way of, uh, you know, uh, cinematography, sometimes it's television, but really it's just called storytelling. That's all it is, it's storytelling. And so in stories, stories have a whole recipe. They have different ingredients that have to be in a story to make it a good story. And one of those things is conflict and trouble and relating to the people that are hearing the story because you've got to captivate them and get them involved. I don't know if there's anything in the world that exists better than quicksand to reach out and relate to human emotions. Uh, I've been lecturing this past year to groups of magicians, specifically magicians that do gospel magic tricks, and teaching them to... uh, I mostly teach... I do teach some magic tricks, but I mostly teach communication and what holds an audience. Um, Getting ready to go to Ohio in a month, and so somebody else will be preaching that day. I haven't asked who yet, but anyway, I'll be going to Ohio to teach this at a convention and then another place in Ohio a couple days later, but one of the things that I teach uh, to magicians, we teach about escape tricks, and I teach about the straight jacket, and you know, I've seen lots of guys do the straight jacket. I do the straight jacket. I did it one year on Easter, hanging upside down from the ceiling. And it was the highest attendance that we've ever had. People came to see me escape from a straitjacket. And then I told them about the greatest escape when Jesus escaped death. And then a whole bunch of people got saved. Why did they show up that day? Why did they want to see that? For years, I never liked the straitjacket escape. I still don't like it. But I noticed that audiences like it. When you are bound in front of them, they are bound with you. When the magician is chained and goes under the water, the audience is underwater. When the magician holds his breath, the audience holds their breath. And the moment the magician gets out, guess who else gets out? The moment the magician (gasps) gets that breath again, because he was that close to dying. He was in a lot of danger. The moment that magician breathes again, the whole audience breathes. For a moment, nobody had any problems except the one that the magician was having. And the moment he gets free, they get free. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing how this brain works. Quicksand. We watch quicksand in cartoons and movies. And when you're watching that, man, it's a great distraction from anything else that's going on. If somebody's in quicksand, you are not thinking about anything else. 
Quicksand is the most urgent thing that's happening. And it happens so gradually. Not necessarily slowly, but gradually. It just keeps taking you, and it keeps taking you. And you start to think in your mind about the pressing weight, and you start to think, how are they going to get out? And they need to move, but if they move, it makes it work. And you... Have you ever had your feet stuck in deep mud? Have you ever had to save your foot but lose your boot? (laughs) Have you ever felt that soft, thick, cold mud on the river floor or the lake bottom and tried to avoid it? Because something lives down there, first of all. It's the same thing that lives under your bed that you, at 40 years old, still have to tuck the covers under your feet so it doesn't get you. I found you. I found which ones. That thick mud, that muck, and that mire. Well, we feel that in a lot of places. We step into a lot of things and then think, my God, I don't know if I can get back out of this, but if I do, I'm going to have to leave something behind. Maybe it would be worth losing what I invested just to save my foot. I might not have what I did, but at least I'll be walking. At least I'll be living. Are we talking to anybody? seeing if I can pick up a few more before we start this message. (laughs) You are not alone. Even in this room, you're not alone. You are surrounded by people that have gone through what you are right now going through or what you have gone through or what you're going to go through. Everybody here knows that my calling in preaching is to preach two things. This is what I, this is my, this is my job. Uh, Bishop Patterson said, know your lane and stay in it. And I'm trying to do that. I preach two things. I preach practical life wisdom principles from the Bible tools that you can take and do something with. And I preach faith. I preach faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That's all I talk about. That's all I'm going to talk about. You can beg me to talk about something else, and I won't do it. You can say, hey, why don't you consider preaching on this? Nope, I won't. I will not consider preaching on that. I'm going to preach on this, unless God would give me something different. So I preach life principles, and I preach faith. The last few weeks have been life principles. Today is faith. Today, I am going to give you a shot in the arm. Uh, B12, not COVID facts. <laughs> that means something different. I can't use that the same as I could a couple of years ago. Today, we are going to supercharge you with faith You are going to leave here encouraged today. You're going to leave here uh, full of life, 
you're going to leave here with the strength you need to carry out those life principles and to use the tools. How many of you know that tools mean nothing if you have no inspiration to use them? I've had times when I've had all the right tools, but uh, my get up and go had got up and went. And I was just sitting doing nothing with all kinds of potential around me. But potential meant nothing. And so we need both. We need both. So today, I'm going to talk about this common experience that we all have, like David had, of drowning and of the deep waters overtaking us and of being stuck in the mud. But we're going to do it from a funny place, or it'll seem funny at first. Would you go with me to 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 1? And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, and you know, Elisha was the successor of Elijah. Everybody say Elijah. And Elisha. Now, the difference was Jah and Shah. So everybody just say, Shah. So today we're talking about Shah, all right? And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, and they even had a school of the prophets, not a fake school of the prophets like you hear about now where people go to a convention to pretend to learn to be a prophet and then they get a certificate and a business card. But, uh, but, <laughs> right? but a, real, a real school of the prophets, a real school of the prophets. And they were following Elisha to be trained in the ways of the Lord. And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. Literally small. It's cramped. It's too small here in this, in this building, in this house, and in this place. It's too small. Let us go, we pray thee, to Jordan. And take thence every man a beam, literally a, a rafter, a piece of construction. We will all go and cut down beams. Every person can do a little bit. And take thence every man a beam, and let us make us a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, Go, go ye. And one said, be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. They told Elisha, we would like you to go too. We want you to go with us. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam... The axe head fell into the water. It flew off the handle, kind of like some of you. <laughs> Anybody ever fly off the handle? I'm probably going to get a little too free swinging. I hope this thing does not fly off the handle. As one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. 
And he cried and said, alas, master, it was borrowed. Kind of like these. I borrowed them from Jeremy. He had a borrowed axe head. And it flew off and landed in the river. And he freaked out. And he cried out to Elisha. He said, that was borrowed. And the man of God said, where fell it? And he showed him the place. And he cut down a stick. And he cast it in thither. And the iron did swim. Elise, did you hear that part? The guy lost his axe head, and Elisha threw a stick in, and the axe head swam from the bottom of the river up to the top, and it just sat there swimming like a fish, an axe head. Therefore said he, take it up to thee. And he put out his hand, and he took it. Now, before we preach this, we have to just talk about it. The the head of an axe flew off, landed in the river, and sank. So the prophet throws a stick in the river, and the axe head from the bottom of the river swims to the top, and then just sits there swimming. And then he says to the lumberjack, he says, grab it. This would freak me out. This would be such a strange event. We read on past it in the story, and that part's just over. But think about this one when he told Elisha that was a borrowed axe head. He probably was not thinking about getting it back. He was just expressing that he had lost it. And then Elisha cuts down a stick and throws it, which had to be weird. And then it takes a minute because he couldn't see it swimming from the the Jordan River is nasty. So he wouldn't have known that it began to swim from the bottom. He doesn't know until until the axe head pops up out of the water. He's just looking. And Elijah says, grab it. Think about the story like that. That's what happened. The axe head had found its way to the bottom of the muddy Jordan River. Visibility, zero. Now let's think about the axe head. If the axe head could think, let's bring it to life for a minute. If the axe head could think, it probably would have felt just like David. It probably would have had the same thoughts that King David had. And that little axe head might have said, God, I'm drowning under deep water and I'm stuck in the mud. Just like David. 
Think about that little scared axe head. Have you ever been that axe head? Have you ever been going along, working, that's what it was doing. It's out here and it's chopping wood and it's doing its job. Have you ever been just moving along, doing what you're supposed to be doing, but something happened and you flew off the handle and now you find yourself drowning under deep water and stuck in the mud and crying out and saying, God, I'm not even sure how I got here, but I'm under deep water and I can't get out. I told you, Vince. Sometimes we are the head of that axe. And now we are cold. Listen, there's not much that's more dead than an axe head. And sometimes we get in a position and we feel like it's all over. We don't, we don't feel all of that life that we've been experiencing. We're not in a moment where the glory's coming down. We're not in a moment where we're feeling especially anointed or even feeling qualified Cold, dead, lifeless, and stuck. Somebody say stuck. stuck. Have you ever been stuck? The axeman knew what to do. He got Elisha. He got Elisha. Now, Elisha is two words. Eli and Shah. And Eli means God. Specifically, it means Father. You got a little fill in the blank on your notes, just in case. It means God. Specifically, it means Father. You find it in a lot of different places. Now, Elijah, that Jah, that Yah, is the covenant part of God, the relational part of God. And so Elijah, Elijah's name meant God who has a relationship with us. God who is a father to us has relationship with us. Wish I had a whole lot of time. Elijah raises up Elisha. And when we read accounts of Elijah and Elisha, there is a, a Prophetic. I really hate to say prophetic. There's a spiritual picture. And we will find that Elijah is a picture and a type of God, while Elisha is a picture and a type of the believer. So when you read about Elijah and Elisha, keep in mind that everything with Elijah and Elisha is the same with you and God. But then when Elijah passes, or rather is taken up, is taken up in a whirlwind, and then he sends back his mantle, 
which was literally a stole that they wore, but it was a symbol of the anointing, and it carried the anointing, much like anointing oil carried the anointing in the Old Testament. It wasn't the oil that was anointed. It was the act of faith. But once you had been anointed, the Holy Spirit did honor that, and then the anointing came on you. Well, the mantle was the same, and so uh, he asked Elisha, when I go, what do you want? He said, I want a double portion of your anointing. And he said, if you see me when I go, I'll send it back. And so a chariot of fire and the, the fiery horsemen of Israel swooped down out of heaven between Elijah and Elisha and grab Elijah and take him up in a whirlwind. And Elisha keeps his eyes on Elijah. And man, I wish we had time for that. And the mantle falls back to the earth. And Elisha takes it up and puts it on. Actually, he wraps it around a staff. He wants to know if it worked, if he got what he had asked for. And he said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And he smote the waters and the waters parted. This is, quite a, this is quite a character. This is quite a guy. So after that point, now in the stories we read, Elisha becomes a picture of God that we can look at. And while Elijah means father God who has a relationship, Elisha, Shah, is God is my Savior. It's Savior. So Elisha is God the Father who saves me. It's similar to the name Yeshua, or which in English we would say Jesus. The word Jesus is really Yeshua or Joshua. And it means relationship God saves us. Isn't that beautiful? It's amazing. All right, anyway. He got Elisha. Who did he cry out for? The fatherly figure that saves us. If I'm in trouble, I do the same thing. I call for my dad. Because I figure he can save me better than anybody. I go to my dad first. Elisha. There are many people, when they get in trouble, they go ahead and just die. Because they don't call out for the help of Elisha. There are many people, when they get in trouble, they don't call out to Jesus. I want you to know that no matter what happens, I'm going to call out to Jesus. If it's a big problem or if it's a little problem, I'm calling out to the one that can do something about it. I'm going to get a hold of Jesus. But look at what Elisha does. When the axeman calls out to Elisha, this is what he does to rescue the axe head. He gets a stick. When a cold, dead, lifeless object is stuck in the bottom of a river under hundreds of thousands of pounds of water, he said, I know what to do about this. We just get a stick. And can I tell you that almost every time you see a stick or wood or a rod or staff raised up in the Old Testament, it is a picture of the wooden cross of Jesus Christ because when cold, dead, lifeless things are stuck at the bottom, there's only one answer, my friend. You apply that old rugged cross. 
The answer is in the cross of Jesus Christ. There is no other answer. Thank God for Dr. Audrey Bacon, but the answer for this world is not psychology. Thank God for the medical doctors that can give us medicine to help with certain problems. But the answer in this world is not the doctor. The answer for this world is not the economist. The answer for this world is not the Democratic Party or the Republican Party or any other party. The answer for this world is the blood-stained cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Elisha, God the Father who saves, said, there's only one answer for getting the axe head off the bottom. We've got to apply the stick. We've got to apply the cross. And he cut down that stick. And he threw it into the nasty water. He threw the wood right into that disgusting mess full of death. He did not hold the stick where the axe couldn't get to it and say, if you want it, it's over here. Come and get it. He said, no, I'll leave where I'm at and I'll come down right where you are because you can't get to me, but I can get to you. The greatest enemy of God is religion. The worst addiction, the most disgusting thing that's ever been created. There's nothing God hates more than religion. Because religion is a made-up set of man's rules on how we can get to where God is. But God said, you can't get where I am, but I love you, and I'll come down where you are. I'll come to you. He said, you didn't choose me, but I choose you. And Elisha threw that stick right into that water. And on the cross, Jesus Christ jumped right into your mess. He jumped right into your death, not scared of what you were involved in, not staying away, not offended by you, but loving you enough, and he came and got right in it with you. And then he took all the sin of all the world Do you realize that Elisha, throwing the stick in the water, God the Father who saves, throwing the stick down in the water, are you hearing me? Is God the Father throwing Jesus right down into the earth? God my Father who saves took Jesus and threw him right down into the mess. And on that wooden cross, he drew all of that mess to himself and made a way. And made a way. 
I didn't even understand how my feet came out of the mud. It didn't make sense because as an old axe head, I couldn't swim, but somehow a power was moving inside of me and brought me up out of what I could not get out of, and suddenly I was out of the top, and Jesus reached down his and grabbed me and grabbed me. 2 Kings 6 and 6, And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place. And he cut down a stick, and he cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Cold, dead things come to life when the cross is applied. And it's not just for salvation. Because I've had some dead stuff since I've been saved. And I've been stuck in the mud since I got saved. And I've been in zero visibility since I got saved. And I've been cold. And I've been heavy. And I've been drowning. And I've been at the bottom of the river. And I've got to tell you that everything I tried didn't work. But when I called out to Father God who saves... When I applied the cross, it was not when I said, I'll get out of this somehow. Didn't work. It's not when I said, well, I'll try a little harder. It didn't work. It's when I finally said, my God, at the end of me is the beginning of you. God, I don't have the strength. I don't have the power. If you don't do something, nothing will happen. That's the place of faith. The place of faith is not what I can offer God. The place of faith is, God, I've got nothing to offer you. God, if you don't do this, it won't happen because that's it. I got nothing left. And the iron did swim. You might feel like right now that you are cold. You may think it's too late for you. You may not know, you might, you might not know why you wandered in here. I don't even know why I'm going to this service. Because it's over for me. I've already given up. You might feel like you're cold and dead. You might feel like you've lost your edge. You may say, I still look the same to everybody else, but they don't know that it ain't sharp anymore. You may feel like you're drowning and at the bottom of a river stuck in the mud, in the muck, in the mire, but when the cross is applied, it changes everything, and there's hope for you today. It is not over for you today. It is not the end. The fact that there is breath in your lungs is proof that God is not through with you yet. There is purpose for you. There's a reason for you. You might feel like you're being buried, but God will turn your buried into baptized. When the cross is applied... That river becomes living water. You may feel like your enemies have surrounded you and that there's no way out. 
Jesus' enemies thought the same thing. They thought they had him when he was buried. But three days later, up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. You know it. He arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. I like that part, with his saints to reign, because he doesn't do it without me. We have to learn that falling down is not falling out. We have to learn that failure is not a finish line. We have to learn that there is hope. We have to learn that God is bigger than what's the matter. I might be down, but I'm not out. Pressed, but not crushed. Persecuted, not abandoned. Struck down but not destroyed. I'm blessed beyond the curse for his promise will endure. His joy is going to be my strength. You can not stop me, devil. You can't stop me. And you can't touch this. That's Bible. That's Bible. He that is begotten of God, that wicked one touches him not. He, he himself, Jesus, keeps him, and that wicked one touches him not. You can tell the devil you can't touch this. It might hurt what I'm going through right now. But Romans tells me that we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. I don't care how bad it is. And I'm not telling you God caused it. But I'm telling you God will take whatever is and he'll use it. Whatever thing is going on to your life, don't let it be in vain that the time is wasted. Hand it to Jesus and let him build something out of it. He will even use your failures. He will even use your failures. Your failures don't have to be your end. If you'll give them to God, they can be a new beginning. We don't need to dwell on them, but we also don't need to give them any power by ignoring them and not dealing with them. What do we do with failures? We don't believe that it means it's all over. And we don't ignore them and act like they're not there either. What, what do we do with them? We say, God, here it is. This is what happened. And I give it to you. 2 Kings 6 and 6. The man of God said... Where did it fall? Where did you lose it? And he showed him the place. Go back 
to the place. Get to your prayer closet. And in your prayer closet, go back to the place and say, God, here. This is where it fell in the water. God, this is where I lost it. God, this is where it happened. And God will say, no problem. That's where we'll throw the stick. But nothing happens if we leave it. Nothing happens if we don't get Elisha. Nothing happens if we don't apply the cross. Are you hearing me this morning? And let's talk for a minute and think for a minute about the axe head itself. An axe head is full of potential, but it can do nothing on its own. You trying to get this? Yeah, I'll try to be serious with it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Come on, trying to be serious. Did you get it? <laughs> Didn't work, did it? You see, you had to you had to bring it back up if you want to keep Bill's attention. You gotta make it light for a minute. An axe head has lots of potential, but it cannot do anything. On its own. Verse 7. Therefore said he, take it up to thee. And he put out his hand and took it. The axe must be placed in the hands of the lumberjack before it can accomplish its purpose. All the potential in the world means nothing until it's in the hands of somebody that knows what to do with it. And don't forget, this axe head was borrowed. Your life is not your own. You have been given this, and you have only been giving it, given it for a short time here. Your life is not your own. Ephesians 2 and 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God before hath before ordained them that we should walk in them. 1 Corinthians 7.23 says this, You are bought with a price. Don't be the servants of men. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. You are the head of the axe, and you must be taken up by the Lord's hand. He attaches it to a handle. So that it can be swung. 
The axe head is attached to a handle so it can be swung to take down trees. And we must be attached to the cross so that God can swing us out into the world and bring down whatever is standing in the way. Matthew 3, and now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Jesus died on the cross. He called us up from the depths of despair. That is casting in the branch. He attaches us to that finished work. That's when we place faith in what he's done. He sharpens us with his word. Hebrews said that the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. And then he fills us with his Holy Spirit, and he swings us out into the world to drop trees and build his kingdom. Luke 10, therefore said he unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth like lambs amongst wolves. God sends us out into it. Do you think that the axe head never feels the force? Of course it does. But it's okay. It's made for the job. Do you think that the edge never gets tired and dull? Of course it does. But he said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest And in Proverbs, we learn that iron sharpens iron. So a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. What does this mean? It means we get sharpened by time with the Lord, and we get sharpened by time with his family. And one will never take place of the other. People that think it's just them and Jesus, they're missing out on half of what Jesus has with the family. And people think that it's just coming to church. They are missing out on a personal, intimate relationship with the Lord. But the Bible says it takes both to be victorious and to be uh, productive in his work in the earth. He told Jeremiah, chapter 1 and verse 10, See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. God has a lot of destroying to do before he builds. It wouldn't do much good to build on top of a bunch of junk and rubble. So God has to chop a bunch of stuff down first. And he uses us to chop a bunch of stuff down first before he begins to build. Today, you have been called to a job that you're made for, but that you cannot do without being attached to the one that made you. You might feel like you're stuck. 
like you're sinking, like you're drowning. But just get Jesus and show him where you lost it. He knows how to get right through the mess and bring dead things back to life. Has anybody ever felt like you were just on top? And man, you're seeing the plan of God. You got your eyes on Jesus and you're just, you're just doing it. And then something distracted you. And you looked away. And before you knew it, you felt like you were sinking. Again, you're in good company. Because Peter, James, and John were out on those stormy seas. And Jesus appeared walking on the water on all those waves and told Peter to do the impossible. He said, come to me. And Peter climbed out of the boat and with his eyes fixed on Jesus, Peter walked on top of the water. He had to feel amazing. And then suddenly... The storm that was around him. Listen, it doesn't matter how good God is. Sometimes the storm is loud and distracts us. And all of a sudden, Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and he began to sink. But when Peter could not save himself, Jesus reached down. Just like that lumberjack had grabbed the head of the axe, Jesus reached down and grabbed hold of the hand of Peter and lifted him up and saved him. And he'll do the same for you. Singers, musicians, would you come? Jesus Christ will do the same for you. So I don't know the specifics on your situation. But I will say it's not as unique as you think it is. God has gotten somebody out of the same thing before. Somebody has lived to tell the tale. And God loves you. I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know everything that's going to happen. I don't know if everything will happen like you want it to. But I know that God is good. And I know that he loves us. And I know that he said he'll never leave us. And he'll never forsake us. So I don't know how it's going to play out. But I know in whom I have trusted and I know that nothing can pluck me out of his hand. Thanks again for listening to the River Audio Podcast. We hope that these weekly sermons are an encouragement to your life. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week online at theriverworshipcenter.org and on Facebook and Instagram at The River. <laughs>